you can only get the behaviors that you want by showcasing them yourself and emphasizing them again and again and again. Welcome to the Edge Podcast, giving you an inside look at the strategy, design, leadership, and innovation from experts across different industries who are actually doing it. I'm Ross Chapman from Etch, and our guest this episode is Suzanne Charlotte Voss. We talk about starting innovation journeys with teams, unlocking thoughts with visual collaboration, and how we can be more efficient in 2021 and beyond. Enjoy. Today on the Etch Podcast, we are delighted to welcome Suzanne Charlotte Voss, innovation strategist and activator, consultant and speaker, currently working as an innovation coach and consultant at ING Labs, where her goal is to make innovation business as usual. Welcome, Suzanne. Great to have you here. How are you? Thank you. Thank you. That was such a punchy intro. Uh, I'm well. I'm, I'm so happy to uh, to be in a podcast here with you and uh, just chat all things innovation awesome thank you so much so we were introduced through our mutual contact elvin turner who was on the last podcast uh he he mm-hmm. he said well we had a great conversation but you absolutely have to talk to suzanne so thank you for making the time <laughs> and um you know it's it's really really great to um share and let's talk about innovation and and how we can apply that as uh, as a journey and um apply it as a business as usual concept so tell us a bit about what led you to innovation tell us a bit about your background and how did you become an innovation strategist how does one become an innovation strategist um so for me it has always nature to think about how can we do things smarter or faster or just ask questions about why we're doing things as we are doing them in general um so i studied systems engineering and that that mindset was really nurtured there as well really understanding the situation first approaching it holistically and then once you understand the problem to be solved only then start coming up with different solutions um, i also come from a background of a family that's quite entrepreneurial, uh, grew up essentially in the family business. So always thinking about, okay, how can we do things in a different way? How can we be one step ahead of the competition? Um, and at some point I, I joined ING, uh, more in a front office facing role. And um, in there I was also looking at, okay, can we do things more smoothly? How can we work better together with, with each other? And there was one thing in specifically that, that really triggered me to be like, hey, I th- think we really need to start doing things differently here, which was um, I was working on a transaction and um, I was typing things into an Excel sheet and then um, I, I sent it off to, to the next person to work on this. And I was very curious to see what he was doing with this and just I wanted to better understand what was going on. And what I saw was that he just typed over what I wrote into another Excel sheet. And I was like, um, but we, we could connect these things together. We, 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 you wouldn't have to do this anymore at all if we do that. And his response was, well, I, I can do it really fast. So from his point of view, there was nothing to be changed. It was just like, I've always done it this way and I'm, I'm really good at this and I can do this really fast. So why would I change this? And this for me was really a trigger to see 
um, how many more of these instances there were around me just to show people that just because we have done them always this way does not mean we need to keep doing them this way. We can probably do them smarter or different or maybe not at all anymore. So that was really a trigger to um, see, hey, how can I go beyond what I'm doing so far and really help others as well to discover how can we be better together, essentially. So that was for me, um, yeah, a main trigger to join uh, setting up ING Labs, which is now almost three and a half years old. Very, very proud. Um, And and they were really focusing on coming up with new things and uh, and implementing them, making them happen. Thank you for sharing that. I, I like that idea of having that trigger to do things smarter or not at all. Do you think that's an, a different mindset to, to others? How, how do you think you found that, but the person doing it just wasn't aware that there might be another way? Well, what I've been teaching essentially in the last, uh, last years has been the difference between the execution and the exploration mindset, essentially, as most of us, when we are doing our day-to-day work, we're really driven to do realize business outcomes, to really execute on them and seeing the, the shorter term results. Whereas sometimes you need to put on your head to explore new possibilities and really be able to take that step back and see, can we do things in a different way? Um, does it still make sense uh, in five years or in 10 years? Will our customers want this? Do our colleagues want this? And that is not something that's normally um, expected when you are just looking at the short-term short-term results. Um, so that's, for me, always something that's been very important to look at the things in the, in the, in the context and seeing, hey, does this still make sense? Because if it doesn't make sense to me, I will start asking questions. Um, but um, that's not always the case. It's all, normally it's like, okay, this is what we need to deliver on. So let's focus on that rather than carving out time and think about this is the thing that we need to do now. But will this be, still be the same in the future? Yeah, and and that that short termism is is omnipresent. It seems to be the default uh, or the, the the business as usual that that most people are doing. So that that idea and that concept of looking at things in a different way, if done in isolation, can rub people up the wrong way. Uh, how how can you take people and teams on this journey of of not just executing but also exploring? I often just start with um, with one of two questions. The, depending on what the trigger was to have a conversation, it's either uh, asking what does innovation mean to you, or what can we be doing better. And if the, if the trigger question was, um, what is innovation to you? It's often things like, uh, it's, it's AI, it's blockchain. It has to be, it has to have a chatbot. It yeah. needs to be technology driven. It needs personalization you know? um, and it, it needs exactly. all these jump to solutions and, and not really solving problems. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And and it needs to be top of the line and it needs to have buzzwords and we need to put so many buzzwords in that the people don't really understand what we're doing. Yeah. Um, and then I always try to bring it back to, well, innovation is about 
new ideas and and implementing them so that they work and add value because it's not about the novelty things it's about the value of things and that way I try to really bring it back to here and now today to to the team to see how can we do something today that would add value to you what would be value to you and if we go the other direction if I start with okay what can we be doing better or what is currently wrong there's usually a whole list of things we can be doing better and then I usually ask, okay, how come we're not addressing these things? And then they usually look at me like, well, is, is this something that we can be doing then? As even sometimes teams have ideas about how they can do things better and what they can do next and what they can implement, but they don't know how to structure it and they don't know how to actually bring the innovation to life. And, and that is where I'm like, oh, I can show you something here that may look like magic initially, but it will actually provide structure in working from this problem to be solved to a solution that actually works that is ultimately implemented so yeah that's that's how i try to bring innovation to life for people that uh, normally don't get exposed to it and and to people it does sound like magic because you're for some reason the mental (laughs) model is to jump to the technology or, or solution but not really define what that needs to do and and uh have have that concept or idea around it the the job of a, mm. a innovation strategist isn't just about bringing innovation to life but educating the wider team and and doing that in a very empathetic way that doesn't doesn't get this defensive nature uh, out out of mm-hmm. the gate and 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 accepts that you're going on this journey things might not actually succeed and that's okay mm-hmm. we've got a few processes and frameworks to do that mm-hmm. uh, has, has that been the the what you've seen in in the innovation that you've done with teams yes absolutely and um Teams can be anywhere in the stages, but what I see often is that there's already an idea that they're ready to implement, they're ready to to put a lot of time in, or they've already invested a lot of time and effort in it. But it's unclear what exactly the impact is supposed to be of this idea. So we then see a solution looking for a problem to solve. And from my experience, that's, that's not a great starting point as... If you understand what the problem is in the first place that you want to solve for and you understand how big this problem is, for example, how many hours are being wasted on a specific process or how much uh, market we're currently not capturing because we cannot offer something yet, then you have a baseline to compare against. Then if you start introducing solutions and ideas and you start prototyping them and you start building some first MVPs of them, you can actually see the impact of what you are doing. So that is really um, yeah, the sort of structure that I then uh, bring to the table and really say first, all right, so it's great that you guys have an idea. I'm so excited to work with you. Um, so help me understand who wants this. And then it's usually like, um, we think that the, the, this person wants it. I'm like, okay, cool. Have you, have you spoken to this, this type of person? Um, if you've done any kind of research or uh, any kind of market data or anything and then they usually go um well no and I'm like oh wow but maybe that's then a great starting point to really understand their context better and to have that dialogue mm-hmm. and this is where it's really interesting how 
uh, that that execution mode and exploration mode can really marry each other as if you are in execution mode and thinking about how can we do things better the people that you interact with you can actually ask questions and understand how is this situation for you and um, what is your your favorite part about this and what is something that we can be doing better and what is something that frustrates you, what is something that costs you a lot of time. And all of these can be um, indicators of something you can actually improve together. Yeah, it's it's hard to put that in an agenda to to start with, isn't it? (laughs) You, You really have to navigate with where the team is at and go down those those routes and and take that journey with them rather than say mm-hmm. this is what we're going to achieve here are the the steps uh it's it's very much about facilitating those those processes and, and getting to those outcomes uh ha- absolutely have, for anyone listening to this what tips would you give them to help them unlock people's thoughts around visual collaboration and experimenting and not going straight into ideation mode oh it's it's key to have everybody on the same page first and even if you think that everybody has a complete same understanding as you do i'm sorry to break it to you but you're probably wrong (laughs) um and if you actually um take the time to to put it on a, a virtual whiteboard and there's so many tools out there at the moment to really make sure that you have a common understanding of where you are in terms of content and where you are in terms of process it will make sure that you answer the right answers at the right time because this is also how uh, a lot of ideas fail as the team from the start is answering the wrong questions they're focusing on uh, will the idea be a success and not is this idea solving a problem now what I find really interesting here is that um, a lot of um, leaders that I've worked with mostly assume that the problem is clear to everybody, that it's clear what we need to solve for, and that we are ready to generate all kinds of solutions. When in reality, every room has a different view of where we are in the process and where we are in terms of the, the scope. Um, because there's there are gaps in information, there's gaps in, in there's different in priorities. So, having the possibility to put it all on one page and actually get an understanding of, um, guys, okay, what is the main issue here? What is the thing that we need to solve? Seeing that on a page, going through it together, clustering them around themes, then actually shows like, oh wait, there is a blind spot here, or oh, wait, we are actually solving for something completely different than I initially had in mind. Having that insight as soon as possible will save you so much time in the future. Best best case, you can see, oh, you know what? We are indeed all on the same page. We do indeed know what the problem is to be solved. Well, then you can even use that same session still to start generating your ideas. But I would love to hear from you if you indeed had that experience before. I haven't yet. Um, but um, yeah, it's 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 key to get everybody on the same page. And if you've then explored those different themes in terms of um, where we feel that the, the problem to solve is, you can really tap into that collective knowledge in the room to better understand one layer deeper what that looks like. And examples of metrics, for example, to see how can we see how big this problem is that we need to address. And have we already seen some green shoots in the organization or outside that we can really tap into to, to address for this? So yeah, visual collaboration all the way for me. 
that that's really key. I liked what you said about answering the right questions at the right time. And that that is so key. It not just in collaborating together and and taking them on the journey, uh, but getting that alignment, um, which I think stems from choosing the team at the at the start. I think if mm-hmm. if you're relying upon the the knowledge of the team to help understand and solve this problem, uh, team selection is is so key, and and taking mm-hmm. that exploration together, uh, that that's that's really really interesting. So. Taking, I, we're talking in, in, in concept broad strokes, but once you get to that alignment, maybe you start ideating. The, the actionable nature of innovation is, is really key. It, it, it's, it's no way to just go about innovation theater and talk about these amazing things we could do, but mm-hmm. getting buy into making them happen is, is, is key. How, how can innovators make it more actionable and support behaviors that best get innovation kickstarted within organizations, would you say? Yeah, so there's different actions that can be taken depending on where you are in an organization. So people who are um, like in product teams that are looking to develop something new, um, I always advise them to first get an understanding of of what is the impact that you're trying to make? What is the success to you if you execute on this? And once you understand the impact that you're trying to make and also who more senior in the organization can actually benefit from this, um, share with them what you are working on and what you would need to be successful. Because that way you can actually get the resources you would need and resources i'm not talking right away about a whole army of data scientists (laughs) and all kinds of very fancy toys but one of the most important resources is is time just being able to carve out time from your business as usual from really executing on those deliverables to really work on exploring further the impact that you can make and starting first with the problem to be solved. How big is this? How many people are being exposed to this challenge at the moment? How much time is this costing them? Or how much how much revenue are we missing because we're not addressing this? Uh, so that's something that you can really do to bottom up. And, and top down, um, something that's really important is setting the not just the, the, the strategic priorities and saying, okay, these are the areas we really want to focus on. These are the kind of, of kind of challenges we're trying to, to solve here. And we would love to hear from you what you see here. Because I have seen so many people across organizations that have ideas, but they don't really know where to go with them. So one thing is communicating that your ideas are valuable and we want to hear them. And then the second thing is, make it clear where people can take their ideas. Is there someone who can help them uh, formulate this uh, more sharply? Is there a specific process they can go through? Like where do people go once they have an idea that fits the bill of what is strategically important to a company? So that is something that's um, important from more of a, a process perspective. And then behaviorally, the key thing for me is... Um, is the communication in terms of what does successful innovation behavior look like? For me, that's all about empathy and evidence. And here it's also about then walking the talk and actually showing that we find this more important than the alternatives. So 
this means in experimentation that sometimes things fail. And then also communicating that if things don't give us what we expected, if they, they have invalidated some of our hypotheses, that that is okay. So not just saying that, but actually showing that by sharing use cases, by, um, again, as, as a senior manager in the organization, actually sharing that this is important and it's important learning and um, giving examples of, of why this is so important, which is usually, well, it's so great that we know this now and that we have not just taken this another year and invested so much money in it only to realize that it doesn't work. So you can only get the behaviors that you want by showcasing them yourself and emphasizing them again and again and again. Repetition for sure. And mm -hmm. yeah, anyone's ideas can be valuable as long as they are put into a process to, to filter or, or validate. And that, that, that's going to bring on the, the next wave, the innovation that, that, that is required in, in, in businesses is, is encouraging risk. We, we talk about failure and we, we kind of accept it as innovators, but it's not often the thing that's signed off. Is that the, 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 the tentative nature of, of maybe some uh, team members that, that maybe you've worked with or, or you're aware of that it's hard to commit to something and invest in something that could ultimately take the business back uh, a few steps or, or just result in, in a complete write-off. That, that's often the, the, the conversation to have with the gatekeepers of, of any investment uh, opportunity. Have, have, have you got any, um, any, any ways to, I say convince, but encourage innovation in a way that um, maybe a risk-adverse industry um, isn't so accepting of? <laughs> um, I would I would like to to steal a quote here, which is, "You either succeed or you learn." So, if you realize that something is not working, that is such a great thing to know that you should not continue to put resources in there. And in the research industries, this is this is um, yeah a very well understood phenomenon. It's and when we're looking for um, uh, a cure for a kind of disease, knowing what kind of things not to do, the understanding what others have done in their research that does not lead to a uh, result, a cure, that's great learning. Because then we know we need to not try that again and try and reinvent that thing because it's no point in putting our efforts there, which is a different, yeah, different perspective to, to failure, in my opinion. Uh, fail is not a negative thing. It's it's a first attempt in learning. It's actually an abbreviation. Um, <laughs> um, so th so that's really a different angle. And most organizations really work with um, yeah. It's indeed like a loss or a win, um, and those are the only options. So learning is not yet recognized in a lot of organizations as value add. And that's still a journey. I think we are in. Um, in most organizations, but that will be the key to success in the long term as building on what you've learned and learning faster in the competition will ultimately set you up for success. So true. The, the, organizations should be focusing on learning rather than looking at 
competitor analysis every month. I mean, the, the, the learnings that you're going to get by being utterly customer centric or developing these innovation ideas, that's going to be way more valuable to the business than looking at what mm-hmm. your neighbors are doing and uh, either mimicking them or, uh, or, or, or just downright stealing what they're doing. It, but it's a different mindset, isn't it? We, we've, we've been somehow wrongly educated that, uh, that, that there, there are some behaviors that we're, we're trying to push back. You know, learning is, is, a, is, is, a, is a journey uh, that we need to practice uh, regularly. Um, mm. Failing mm. is something that we do to, to give us that, um, that yeah. milestone of, of learning. And yeah, and often it's just, I'm, I'm sorry for interrupting no, you, but often it's, it's, it's really, uh, we are trained to think there's one single right path to do things, yeah. whether it is in, in life, whether it is within a project, whether it's in our uh, other aspects of our lives. And um, to be honest, I've even taken a, a different approach in my personal life. I've just been really following the evidence and understanding what has worked. Um I remember when I was, when I was, especially a teenager, I was like, oh, I wish I just had a clear dot on the horizon that I could just work towards. <laughs> and then I would just be a, a doctor or like a surgeon or whatever. And then I would just have a specific thing I wanted to work to. But um, as I progressed throughout my studies and my career, I realized that some things were just not for me. Mm-hmm. And learning those things early on actually helped me to focus more and more towards the things that, that I, I do really get joy out of and that I, I really can um, make an impact in. So um, it's just that sort of experimental approach that I also took to exploring what I want to be actually putting my energy into. Uh, that is something yeah, that I also try to bring into my work every day and also to the projects and the teams that I work with to make sure, are we following the evidence or are we believing that there's one single path to the finish, whatever that finish may look like? Um, and just having that shift from taking a linear process and going step to step to step to get to the exit uh, versus what is the evidence telling us? Does this still make sense? What we are doing is already a different mm. way of approaching things. So true. I, th- I think that's probably the the difference between uh work and and personal life personal is is a linear journey we we live life in a linear way there there isn't an alternative life whereas a business can have mm-hmm. different teams exploring alternative strategies alternative mm-hmm. go to market um uh projects uh alternative uh, anything because that's the power of having different teams within your organization but we don't seem to use that as a mental model we we have a project there is a definitive um dot in the horizon uh that's where we're all striving for and i guess it's just easier for us to understand but it's not the Mm -hmm. the most strategic way of of discovering and delivering value exactly exactly it's more like a like a sauce, I know it's like step forward, step backward, step to the side, step forward again, uh, rather than just in a straight line going from place A to B. Yeah, yeah, no, super good. Innovation is like a dance. <laughs> <laughs> so we're we're obviously in 2021 right now. the The world is quite different to what it was uh, 13 months ago. Uh, what what? Uh, have you experienced as an innovator in this space and collaborating with teams, but not in front of them? Uh, 
uh, you're, you're kind of together but apart. Uh, mm-hmm. What what have your learnings been over the last uh, thirty months or so with uh, innovating, but the communication <laughs> method and the collaboration method has changed? Yeah, yeah. So we already talked about the the importance of visual collaboration. Mm-hmm. Actually, making sure that everybody's on the same page and and using those those tools. Um, and I'm I'm working with a lot of distributed teams at the moment. And I think even in 2021 and beyond, we will need to embrace that we will constantly need to find a new way of working. It will be just be an ongoing new way of working. And we see that um, different organizations and even different parts of organizations are integrating different kinds of, of tech and, and, and enabling themselves with that tech to work online together. And this has resulted in creating different languages around collaboration tooling in itself already. Like it's like, oh, I'll, I'll send you a Zoom or now we can use Teams or mm-hmm. uh, I'll Skype you, um, which within different parts of organizations and between different organizations um, gives different languages and also different rule sets about how that actually works and how you use different kind of tool tooling. So Right now, I don't see a industry best practice yet in terms of using tooling, and there's still divergence there. So a winner is still to be still to emerge. Um, but yeah, even with people now going back to the office more and more, it it won't be at the same scale of before. So we will need to adjust ourselves and explore some different ways of working together. Now, I have a few tips for our listeners uh, on an individual level, a team level, and more of a a leadership level, how we in 2021 can work better together. Oh, please share them, Suzanne. We'd love to hear them. (laughs) (laughs) Tried and tested in 2020. Um, So on an individual level, something that really, really helped me was finding a structure that worked for me. And by structure, I really mean... um, Divide your day into blocks because essentially every day has 24 hours. Uh, understand what you are spending your hours on. Uh, for me, I try to spend a lot of time on, on sleeping. I need my sleep to process everything correctly uh, and, and to keep my energy and my, my spirits up. I have to put my exercise in. And of course, I have my, my work day. So then once I have those big blocks divided in my day, um, I break down what I need to do work-wise. Um, I like to start off my day with my my delivery work and understanding what's going on in my mailbox and making sure that uh, my everybody is uh, is up to date on things. And I like to use afternoons for workshops and bring people together, uh, as that is where I have my my energy to to do those kind of things. Mm-hmm. So that will be like on an individual level. Try to find a structure that works for you. Experiment with different things, but for me, having that cadence, having that having that structure, and knowing, okay, then I'll have my lunch break, then I will go for a walk, and this call I will take outside, and this will be a period I can really do focused work, really helps me stay sane and stay efficient. So that's individual level. Then on a team level, um, read each other's user user manual. What do I mean by read each other's user manual um, is really understanding how people like to work. So again, I prefer to use my mornings to catch up on emails that happened overnight, right? I work with different time zones. So I need to make sure that when I wake up, what is currently urgent, what has happened overnight uh, and really shape my day around that. 
Um, I prefer to uh, get uh, short text messages and I'm happy to reply to, but other colleagues that I've worked with really prefer to have a, a short phone call mm -hmm. to align something. Others really prefer to get emails. Um, I've had some colleagues that really have specific times they want to spend with their kids or they're not available and they really prefer me to just send them a text message and call them after. So understanding when people are available, when they have their family time and, and how, what is their preferred mode of, of um, communication can really make sure that we work smoother together to really sit down and understand them and how they operate in this in this climate because right now we don't have that environment that we're all sharing together all the time so you, you can think about it like two waves uh, that can cancel each other out if you if you don't know when the right moment is or they can really amplify each other if you really understand when the moment is to to connect so that's what I would say in terms of as a team, understand each other and how you can really then work better together. And then if we're looking at more of an organizational level, level on like a senior leadership level, um, I would say really keep sharing your, your mission. Like keep sharing your, your message of what the mission is. Keep iterating. There's a mission. There's a reason why we need to get out of bed in the morning. And the, the first reason for that I would say is really keep motivating people in different ways that are listening to this message and the, the second is really about um, yeah, really supporting the cohesion between people that we're now missing because we're not in one space together all day every day but we are committed to something all together that we're trying to realize so keep telling that story again and again and again to keep people excited and engaged that, that is gold. It feels like we, we have an added skill that we, we're all in HR now. We, we have to be mindful <laughs> of each other and, and define uh, working patterns that is more individual and, and more unique. And I think the, from what you were saying, we, we have more control over how we go about our work and, and interact with people. Um, I, I was particularly interested yeah. in how you said uh, you prefer running workshops in the afternoon. Is that because you've you've warmed up, or is it be, you're you're not tired in the afternoons? I assume. No, I'm actually at my best in the evenings. Wow. Uh, I noticed then I get most of my my energy and the creative juices start flowing. Yeah. I don't know why. I've always had that. Uh, I prefer to do that kind of stuff when the whole world was sort of quieting down and outside it was silent. Mm. And I was like, okay, cool. Now I'm just going to write stuff and get everything out of my system. Um, so for, for me, actually, that those are my most creative hours in the evenings. That's when I try to write stuff. Yeah. I need to be better at that. <laughs> but um, yeah, because it's, it's very easy. And I did that at the beginning as well. And I think lots of me with me is that at the beginning of the, the first lockdowns that we saw and working from home periods, you will wake up crawl behind your laptop, uh, forget that you had your coffee and by the time you saw it again, it was cold, uh, forgot you had lunch, so just had a snack around three and then at 11 o'clock you closed your laptop and you're like, um, what did I eat today? Um, and that just a few days in a row. That's not a very sustainable thing to do with your body. So yeah, HR, human resource, um, we are all humans. Um, so we need to take good care of our ourselves because we are... A very valuable resource. 
Yeah, yeah. And we're the ones that can help ourselves or or not help ourselves. It's uh Exactly. It's it's very kind of self-contained. Have there been any particular um actions that you've done to to help uh either individually or as a team of you uh I mean one case that I can share we used to when we worked in an office we finish at uh, three o'clock on a Friday and we've got a, a little bar a little mini bar uh in the office mm-hmm. and that would open we'd play some music and when we moved to a remote first last January uh or February uh a lot of these in-person um rituals <laughs> or ceremonies mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you know culture is is based from uh, cult uh that uh that that just stopped and we found mm-hmm. that through through measuring our happiness the uh happiness really took a hit bearing in mind everything oh, wow. else was going on mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. only mm-hmm. recently we started doing a virtual happy hour at three o'clock mm-hmm. on a friday and i i think it's it's really helped give a little more familiarity to what makes our workplace um, unique. But uh, I, I, I think some of these things just need that, that idea of what if we tried this and let's, let's try four of these and then assess whether it's, it's working or, or what, mm-hmm. whether we need to uh, change. Experimentation. Yes, absolutely. Ha- have you mm-hmm. run any experiments that have either succeeded or, or failed during the last you know uh, few lockdowns yeah so initially we had lots of team um we had i think we used every other friday to do a quiz together mm-hmm. but at some point you saw there was a kind of quiz fatigue just like okay <laughs> yeah end of the week yeah, yeah. <laughs> guys i want to just spend some time with my family not more screen time mm-hmm. um so what what i really enjoy doing is um when i go for a walk I call a random team member and maybe they're not available. Then I'll try someone else. But it's like um, if you're sitting in an office space, it's like, hey, I'm going to grab a cup of coffee. You want to come? Sort of that vibe. Um, so I'm like, hey, I'm I'm walking and there's nothing specific. I just wanted to, you know, chat. Yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, cool. And then I'm like, well, are you going to go for a walk too? Or where are you? What's your environment? Uh, and to just connect on that human level mm-hmm. and see, hey, how how are things and how how is the family and um, how are you coping and uh, was your internet connection also a bit crappy today <laughs> and you know having having that kind of conversation yeah. um, that works really well for me to just keep keep the human connection um, and not just have the, the the computer only as interaction. Yeah. I also really started to enjoy using only audio. Yeah. Yes, I still have video conversations, which which is great. But I also really and started to appreciate audio only conversations because there's so much more you can actually pick up on mm. in the silences and in intonation of things. Um, I I just found it a really interesting finding when I was uh, yeah when I was switching from video call all day all the time because. Uh, Okay, confession here. When there's a video call and my own video is on the screen as well, I'm like spending a significant amount of time checking if my hair is still okay <laughs> and just thinking how I look like on the on the video. Mm-hmm. Um, but so if if there's audio only for me, I'm a lot more present and really listening and um, really able to work my empathy muscle a lot more than in a video conversation. 
That's really interesting. I, I've seen some similarities to that as well. When when you're having an audio conversation, maybe with a few people, it the, I think we we've got more familiarity with that. Whereas with a, a video call, it sometimes feels like everyone's talking over each other, and and you need to have that practice of you're going to use the hand up emoji to show that you have something to say, which might be a little more orderly. Mm-hmm. But I think the rules are. It's slightly different between audio and and video and yeah it only took uh you to comment on that for me to just realize that <laughs> um but yeah go back to the phone uh different communication method and i guess for, for it's anyone very old school <laughs> yeah and and for anyone you're you're calling on random um it's different and the stuff they're working on and you might interrupt we're rarely working on really urgent stuff it could probably wait for 10 minutes, couldn't it? Yeah, and if you're really in the flow and really are monotasking at the moment, then just ignore the call or put your phone on, on night mode, right? Because if it's urgent, you call twice and then you go through the the, the, the do not disturb mode. Um, so, yeah. And sometimes having that little bit of a conversation and connection actually sparks more energy for whatever you're working on than before. But um, yeah, oh, fantastic. Well, you, all, all listeners should try that. Pick up the phone now and again. Just just give it an experiment. <laughs> see if it works. If it doesn't, then that's fine. At least uh, you gave it a go. And that's uh, that's that's really what <laughs> we're trying to do. Plenty of people who are probably like, oh, my God, is my phone ringing? What year <laughs> is this? You know? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's a funny place. But I, I think like like with any idea is worth experimentation, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. so Suzanne, uh, we, we've, we've covered some, some really great subjects. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you're really interested in right now, or, um, you, you think would be something to, um, for this audience to, to look further into as, uh, as we go into the next few months? Um, make sure you put yourself first as, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening around us all the time. There's organizational change around us, societal change around us all the time. There's lots of crazy stuff happening. So really start with understanding what works for you. As yeah, if if you don't take care of yourself, um, don't put work first. Put yourself first as your family, your colleagues, and, and nobody else will benefit from you overworking yourself or pushing yourself too far when you're not um, when you're not taking good care of yourself. So yeah, put yourself first, you know, on that individual level, find what works for you. That would be my main, uh, yeah, main takeaway for people. That's a good if there's one thing you take away from this, please let it be that. That's a great message. Thank you so much. If if people want to know more about what you're up to and uh, what, what, what you're finding uh, interesting and exciting, where can people find you, Suzanne? I am on the internet, LinkedIn specifically. Um, yeah, just um, shoot me a message or connect with me. I will then ask you what made you connect with me, um, and then let's chat. I'm very curious what's uh, what's going on for you, what resonates with you from this podcast, uh, what your challenges are at the moment, and I'd love to chat. Fantastic! Thank you so much. Really appreciate you finding uh, time to chat, and uh, have a great rest of 2021. Thank you. You too. It was an absolute pleasure. That was the interview with Suzanne Charlotte Voss. 
Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did making it. And if you want to read the transcript to this interview and also listen to previous episodes of the Etch podcast, you can do on etchuk.com forward slash podcast. And I'll see you next time.